Our story begins in a time long, long ago, deep in an enchanted forest on the distant moon of Endor. Welcome to the Percolated Media Ewok Retrospective Series. No, Mace, no! Join Garrett. I wish we had furry creatures like you where I came from. Matt. That's it, my face! And Adam. You can do it, you're brave, you're strong, you're my friend. As they continue their look at the Star Wars franchise by reviewing the two movies starring those little furballs from Return of the Jedi. There's no escape for you, my little. What besides completionism drove Garrett to want to do this series? We came on a star cruiser and we crashed! Had Adam ever seen these before, the boys decided to review them. Ah, ah. And how does Matt feel about reviewing a set of Ewok TV movies? That's a horse! Find out the answers to these questions and more, maybe in Ewokies, courtesy of Percolated Media. Yep, yep! The Ewok Adventure, or Caravan of Courage. This was originally aired November 25th, 1984, Thanksgiving, and this was directed by John Cordy. Alright boys, the Ewok Adventure. Udra, I want to have you sit back for a bit. Adam, do you have any distinct memories of watching this? None. Not whatsoever. I think I may have heard it existed, but I have never seen this film at all. Really? Until now. Really. And you would think at that time, that age, that this would be rife for something that I would have watched. But not at all. And you were all good with the Ewoks? I'm really, really surprised that that's how that turned out. I remember the lead up to this so vividly because I remember watching it back to back. And Matt, you're going to get a kick out of this with the Care Bears movie, believe it or not. And the hype for this was insane. Now, I did not see it live. I believe I saw it the year after. And the reason why I remember that is because something crazy happened that night. We watched these two movies back to back, this and the Care Bears. My parents used to go to a whole bunch of different people's houses. Like, my dad knew everybody, as Adam remembers. And mm-hmm. he, we went to these people's houses, and they had kids, and we watched these movies. Then we went into one of the kids' rooms, and we were sitting up on a bunk bed. And I was sitting on the railing to the bunk bed. And then the railing broke. I fell back and ended up breaking both my arms that one night. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. That's how that night ended. <laughs> Pretty insane, and my mom still has pictures of me walking around with two casts on my arms. So, was that a less painful experience than this? Yes, we'll find out. But, Goudreau, I'm guessing this was the first time you watched this, too, correct? Hey, nice read, Velma. (laughs) (laughs) I've avoided these things like the plague, because, look, when the vast majority of Star Wars fans, and I mean the fanatics, both do not acknowledge that these movies exist and are canon, and B, for as divisive a franchise as it has become under the Disney banner, seemingly, 
I don't know a single person that I have asked about checking these out that gave me a positive, encouraging note to actively seek these out. Christian being one of them. He had not seen these either, and he's a pretty big Star Wars fan. So the fact that him, of all people, had not watched these either, and boy, this was a fun uh, fun three hours to spend on Disney+. Plus. I'm amazed that these things are actually available on Disney+, Plus because so many... It seems like Disney only cares about the, you know, the theatrical Star Wars releases. Not that I would justify putting either of these in a theater, but I do appreciate their completionism, and God knows I'm happy I don't have to scour the internet to watch these illegally. Well, interesting thing about what you just said is these weren't originally on Disney+. Plus. These weren't originally scheduled to be on Disney+. Plus. One of the stars of this movie, Eric Walker, he petitioned to get these on Disney+. Plus. Back in 2018, 2019, when Disney Plus was getting ready to launch. And sure enough, enough people caused an uproar where Disney Plus put them on. So you can thank Mace, one of the stars of this movie, for getting this on Disney Plus. Now, when this movie came out, boys, how many viewers do you think watched this particular movie? I'm going to say too many. (laughs) (laughs) We We know where Matt stands. Adam, do you have a guess? See, for TV viewership, less channels around then, I'll give it 6 million viewers. 65 million viewers watched this movie when it originally aired, which is is why we get next week's movie as well. 65 million viewers. That's a lot. And, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy. I had this book and record, which I once again listened to for this podcast, and... This was something that I did really enjoy as a child. Now, I hadn't revisited it until my late, late years, and we'll get into how I feel about it now. But back then, for somebody who loved Jedi and was starved for more Star Wars, this was it for me. I I was really, really into this. Now, how did this movie get made? Well, George Lucas had just gone through a divorce after Jedi, and they had a daughter, Amanda, and his daughter really enjoyed the Ewoks. And so he went to the network and thought about how to put these Ewoks on network TV. And he originally thought he would get, get like maybe a couple half-hour specials, but the network was like, wait, 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 wait. Let's do a movie around this. Let's do a movie of the week. So that's exactly what Lucas did. And what's interesting about this is a couple of reasons. One, I kind of want to do this because, <laughs> Matt, when you posted that you were watching these on your Facebook, one of our frequent correspondents, Mick Duffy, responded that, oh yeah, these were released in theaters. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do these. These were both released in theaters, these two movies. So they are officially theatrical releases. And two, I want to kind of outline that even before 2016, when Rogue One came out, they were already doing Star Wars stories. So this is pretty much like an offshoot. This is this is a Star Wars story before Kathleen Kennedy got involved, which I found pretty interesting when I went back to this. All right, so that's a lot of the backstory. Not much else to tell, boys. What do you guys say we dive into Caravan of Courage? Yub Nub. Yub Nub is right. So we get the 20th Century Fox fanfare, as we're told by the narrator, Burl Ives, that the story begins a long, long time ago in a deep enchanted forest of Endor. We see someone with a flashlight wandering around looking for two characters named Mason Sindel, and we see they, they're looking for their kids. Now, boys, this is an interesting start, because Adam, doesn't this kind of give you E.T. vibes starting this thing out? 
you've already taken my first two notes just with your introduction. <laughs> first, I'm watching this. I'm like, man, that voiceover sounds like I'm about to watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed yes. Reindeer around Christmas time. And then my f- other note is, this feels like I'm watching an E.T. adaptation of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, flashlights. So yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting with this first with this first shot here. I feel like they took it right out of that and just deposited it here on Endor. That's immediately where my brain went. It actually went into a number of places in this first couple minutes. The second one it went to was me trying to figure out how much this movie was made for because this downed Star Cruiser that they arrive at looks like something you would buy at Spirit Halloween to put outside your front lawn. (laughs) Uh, I swear you can see the cardboard scenes. And the other place is, of course, because it's Burl Ives, Adam's right, I thought of all the Rankin-Bass stuff. And speaking of Rudolph, the giant monster in this, the Gorax, is basically the abominable snowman for Rudolph. (laughs) Very much. (laughs) Except they, they don't befriend it, they murder it with an axe later on, so that's a little bit different, but there's also another big piece of fantasy that I thought of at a certain juncture in this movie that I'll gladly espouse upon more. I didn't hate this opening, but it made me wish we were following the parents. I'll say that. (laughs) That would have been an interesting story, wouldn't it have? But we would have gotten the cute, cuddly Ewoks if we had done that. To answer your first question, this was made for $3 million, and... It was pretty much made in George Lucas's backyard. This was made right in and around where Adam lives, right there around Skywalker Ranch. And Lucas was there maybe once a week, is what Eric Walker says, and even some reshoots. He was not just a bystander. Once again, you know, we talked about this with all these movies. He wasn't just a bystander. He, he did the story. He was an executive producer on this. And according to Eric Walker, he also jumped in and did some reshoots when they were getting ready to launch this thing on TV. So... He was definitely around. I don't know how much of his influences here, but he did do a lot of the approval of creatures in and around this forest. So, Adam, did you feel his influence at all while watching this? Other than recognizing the land and feeling like I was going for a hike up here in Marin County, yeah. that's about the only thing I felt. Right off the bat, and you know what, let's go ahead and get into it. What I feel the cheapness and laziness of putting this thing together, I think, shows right here. I feel like somebody sent some people out on the Skywalker Ranch with a camcorder and said, um, just go ahead and film some stuff and we'll figure out what it's going to be later. And I, I don't feel like we're on Endor. I feel like we're walking through Northern California hillsides. And I don't think it's shot particularly well. And yeah, we'll get into some other stuff. But oof, I don't think this was thought out as much as, hey, they're going to give me some money to put something on TV. Mm-hmm. The couple can't find their kids after a crash on the moon. And as they look, they are captured by what we will later find out is the Gorax. And as Matt pointed out earlier, wow, what a creature this is. <laughs> Joe Johnston, who we talked about when we did the previous three films, he, he did a lot of the special effects work on this. Some of the design work, Phil Tippett worked on this as well. So we're not getting just like the cheap version of ILM. We have big artists working. And you know what? When you, when you go back to 1984 network TV, that's pretty rare. It is. Normally, you're not getting these guys to do it for something that's going to TV. You're getting some people that work under them. You're getting some of the newlings to get their feet wet and try out, especially with ILM, some new technologies and, you know, experiment a little bit. But to pull in some of your top talent, I don't know, maybe it was just to give them something to do post-Jedi until some of the other work really started uh, rolling for ILM. But it was surprising some of the names associated with this. 
Well, you're right that ILM is behind this, but I think this one stands for in- industrial lacking magic. <laughs> <laughs> because so much of this, Adam hit the nail on the head for me. This feels like a hodgepodge of sequences put together for a third-party Star Wars movie, but they got the actual licensing to make it Star Wars at the very last minute, so they just slapped on the title at the end. And I have to ask the important logistical question. These two movies that we're going to talk about, do these take place before Return of the Jedi or after? Interesting you bring that up. This takes place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So, yes, before Return of the Jedi. Which, oh, holy shit, because now I have a major question. Oh, yeah, I know one. exactly where you're going, mm. and we'll get there when we get there. Another thing I find interesting, Warwick Davis gets second build. <laughs> that was serious to me <laughs> in watching this. We cut to daytime on the moon as the Ewoks are gathered, and Deej tries summoning his two sons, who have wandered into the woods by themselves. And this is when Wicket comes into the picture and does some sort of a victory dance that I'm still trying to figure out. Now, these Ewoks are obviously the same creatures that we have, but their costumes don't seem as refined for this television movie. It's almost like they got the rejects as far as costumes go. Their eyes don't really blink, and their lips hardly move at all when they talk. (laughs) And when they move, they look like ventriloquists. I know. That's what's really off-putting, and I swear there are scenes when they're walking from behind, you can see the zippers on the back of the costume. (laughs) You know, these look good for if you were at Comic-Con and saw these, you'd be like, wow, those are really awesome costumes, but in a, you know, in a movie with the Star Wars name on it, these are kind of disappointing, because... Say what you want about the holiday special, and we'll get to that at some point. I think the the Wookiees in that look better than the Ewoks here. (laughs) I will say, I think the Ewoks look pretty decent, and maybe it's just because, you know, the format is lower grain than the video. Though, those eyes, those freaking teddy bear reflective eyes that never blink or move, just, Mm. I swear I'm going to be haunted for the rest of this year over those... (laughs) Yeah, I, I have expect Dr. Loomis to come out of the woods and be like, they have the, the blackest eyes, the, the, the devil's eyes. Deej gets a glider set to look for his two sons when a set of unforeseen circumstances involving a goat on Endor uh, prematurely sends Deej up in the sky. I didn't know Endor had goats. <laughs> yeah, they don't, but they're used to clear the foliage around Skywalker Ranch, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> While in the sky, Deej finds a shiny object, but he keeps looking until he finds his two sons. He finds them, and as they walk home, they investigate the shiny object and find the ship that we saw earlier in the film. They go in and find a coughing young girl hiding. They quickly realize she's not a threat and escort her out, but here's her brother, Mace, to what he thinks is to rescue her, but she's convinced that they're here to help them. All right, our two characters, our two main people that we're going to be following throughout this film... Sindel, I think, is adorable. I think she has a real Drew Barrymore-type look when you look at her, and I think that's exactly what Lucas and company were going for with this character. And I definitely think Mace is there as a Mark Hamill lookalike. You know, he looks like a young Mark Hamill, complete with the orange suit that he wore in uh, the first two films. But, man, he is detrimental to this film. He is a whiny character. And even as a kid, I would look at him and say, God, stop fucking whining. So, I'll say a controversial statement. Th- this kid makes Jake Lloyd look like Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> that, that, that is the, the, the cataclysmic level of abysmal childhood acting. And the, the, he's also unlikable. Like, he, he, he 
talks shit about the Ewoks at every turn, even though they're proven right at virtually every instance. You're right. He also has some, if you look at him, he, he looks like a cross between Mark Hamill and he and Christensen. And I think he's somewhere in the middle as far as the acting department goes. Mm. But yeah, you're right. And and this, to me, is, you're right. She has an E.T. Drew Barrymore vibe, which definitely adds to the opening that we talked about earlier. But this goes to show and supports my argument that it's really hard to do heightened fantasy with kids as your main characters, especially kids that are inexperienced as actors. And when it works well, they have either a Henry Thomas, who's actually a very talented kid actor, or someone like Spielberg, who knows how to pull that performance out of them. Neither of those instances apply here, and they're a big reason why I find this 90 minutes to feel like nine days. (laughs) I'll say this. You know, as adorable as Sindel is, I'm pretty sure that Drew Barrymore could carry off that cough better than this little girl can because her fake cough <laughs> sounds like the way I called him sick to school when I was a kid. Yeah, both of you completely nailed it. It's like they went to Central Casting and said, we need not Drew Barrymore and not Mark Hamill and send them up here to Northern California because there's no reason that Mace is here with his lack of ability to do anything other than he looks like you cut his arm or foot off of Mark Hamill, planted it in the ground, and sprouted this guy. I mean, that's how close he looks to Mark Hamill. And it took me a good 30 seconds to realize that wasn't Firestarter Drew Barrymore yeah. here at Sindel. I mean, the way they curl her hair and everything is just so freaking close to it. If you would have put a cat walking through this movie, this could have been another, another film out of Cat's Eye, and I would have went with it. <laughs> She looks like Shirley Temple if she fell in a bucket of bleach. Yes. <laughs> and all the red, the red is just gone. And I, I was kind of hoping that Ewok would would stab Mace, and we. And this is the the first of two characters I know that are named Mace in the Star Wars yes. universe. Like that's a surprisingly. Apparently, that's a very common name in Star Wars, and it's appropriate because that's what I wanted to hit Garrett with for making me watch this bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, that hit me too when I was watching this. Was holy shit! I guess Lucas has a thing for the name Mace. Mace is taken down and carried out Han Solo style as Sindel is just walking, and of course she makes eye contact with Wicket and it's friendship at first sight. She says that she just doesn't feel good, and Mace spends about three minutes trying to explain what food is. But she says she feels bad with again with one of the worst fake coughs I've heard while not on the other line with one of my fucking team members at work and uh she falls face first on the table you do that too at a cute <laughs> you sure as fuck did <laughs> <laughs> the ewoks give her some medicine i mean we spend literally 10 15 minutes with this girl as she's coughing you know like there's no action really going on i guess this is to show that the ewoks they have this medicine for her and this is to show that they're they're compassionate and this is how they get on their side but still like they really draw this out yeah they had no interest in editing anything it's almost like they needed to make a length for network tv and sure as hell they were going to use every bit of celluloid they had to get there <laughs> we see some ewok shenanigans as they roll around in the forest and drop trees on their feet Wicket comes to give Sindel a flower as she keeps saying that she wishes her and Mace's parents were there. Mace says that they need more medicine, but he's told that they're out. He heads out with the Ewoks to get more, and then Mace finds something lingering in a tree. 
He goes to investigate it and is almost pulled into a tree. He cries for help as the creature won't let loose until Mace pulls it out and the Ewoks hit it with a stick. More medicine! More medicine! And this is what we get. This creature in this tree that... Interesting design. Um, I see what they're going for here. Adam, you had a lot of praise for the Rancor. Were you going with the Phil Tippett slash Harryhausen look that this creature had? Not really. A lot of what I felt, and I thought I would enjoy some of it based on who was responsible, but man, some of these look like really bad Party 2000 Halloween masks that are slapped on. Some of the some of the stop motion creatures just look even for TV and even for that time frame they're not trying to do a cute homage and their lack of knowledge of how bad this looks i just i can't overlook it because i'm i'm embarrassed for for what this is being put together i i really am i'm i go from anger to embarrassment to pissed then I'm saying you're suffering through. Oh my God! I kind of wish that I was these kids' parents and I could disappear for three quarters of this film. Wow! Wow! See, even if all right, let's let's go back to when you were a kid, and this was a year after Return of the Jedi. Would you have felt this way if you had seen this as a kid? Probably not. You know, I enjoy things. I mean, look at the movies that are around that time. Look at things like Legend mm-hmm. and things of that Dark sort. Dark Crystal and um, Dark Whoa. Crystal. Princess Bride, you know, that's got the ruse and things like that. There's a place for it. But even comparing it to those, I could still watch those today and get that sense of nostalgia because I appreciate that there's effort being made because I don't feel like, you know what, I'll skip to the end of this. I look to see who was, who was responsible for writing this story, and nobody is. And, <laughs> and that shows that I just don't think there's a thought process to what they're trying to do. I think it's just slapping these scenes together and where the lines don't meet up, somebody called Mr. Ive so he can give a line of narration to explain what we're doing. Well, Lucas did the story outline to it, and he pretty much just gave it up. There's an outline, (laughs) like there's an overall story, but there's no writer, and it shows because, holy shit. Well, this was was six years after the holiday special, so he had already felt Mm -hmm. burned. He was on a quest to burn all those copies. Me too. He was on a quest to burn all those copies, if you remember. He was not going to let a network take what he had and turn it into what that network special was. So he was an executive producer, and he did do story on this. And I think his influence is here, and there's a big influence that we're going to talk about later that really came to mind as I was watching this. But it's just like he was there for meetings, left. It just doesn't feel that fleshed out to me. I'm more on Adam's side. I also have to... Acknowledge that I had an epiphany watching this movie. I think this is what Labyrinth would have been without mm-hmm. Jim Henson, yeah. his involvement and his ability to. Because you can do really straightforward fantasy, which this is, but you got to offset the simplicity with really creative set pieces and creature design. And I don't think this movie has either of those. There's one that I thought was an interesting idea that plays on claustrophobia, but it's resolved so quickly and the template was already established that it lost any sort of stake on my part. So I'm with Adam that so much of this feels like it's an outline, but it's sketched with a pencil and there's no detail put into it. It just feels like a framework without a picture inside. Mm. They give Sindel the medicine again and she almost immediately starts feeling a little bit better. We cut to Sindel hanging out with the Ewoks and explaining what furry means while holding a ferret. 
again, an Endor-born ferret. She then explains that their star cruiser crashed and has Wicket reenacted crashing. Sindel's teaching Wicket how to talk. But when Princess Leia gets there, how many years later, <laughs> Wicket somehow forgets how to talk. This was my this was my I know it was at the time. <laughs> That's why I brought it up now. And it, it's it, it's made even worse in the next yes. one because he can speak in phrases and sentences. All in English. And it it drives me fucking nuts that, you know, we talk about Star Wars, everyone thinks it's this tightly constructed, you know, sequence of events in the timeline, but no, this this shit's like Terminator where it barely makes any fucking sense. And this does not have the excuse of different timelines. No. And fracturing off it's supposed to be one long story but clearly there's some chapters missing or they the rosetta stone only lasted about six months in ewok's brains you know it doesn't last for life it's like a temporary boost to your world of warcraft stat line which god like, this feel, this feels this is the runescape of fantasy movies where it's so straightforward and filled with stock shit that you're amazed people are still involved in any capacity. I think if I was Lucas, I'd look to sweep these onto the rug, too, and he'd probably lock them in the same basement as the holiday special. Well, I'm going to play this card. Let's not forget, this was made for people that were me and Adam's age back in 1984. This was not made for three smart-ass podcasters going through it scene by scene. They're not going to notice a lot of those continuity errors that you point out, but i I got to agree with you in that, this is Lucas's baby. He's the one who wanted to do these specials. He's the one who really spearheaded this. You would think that he would have a tight-knit capture on exactly what's going on in these films, and he really doesn't, because it does seem all over the place, and it is not with the continuity. I get what he's going for here when you have this cute little girl doing these scenes with Wicked. I really do get what he's going here with here, but still, it doesn't feel at all like the world that we were in. And I think the location doesn't help. Like, I don't feel like we're on indoor. Yeah, that's a big problem. You know, we're, we're not, which is crazy because they could drive 30 miles and get mm-hmm. there. But whether it's because we were going to do this for no money because we don't need to pay location when we're shooting on someone's private ranch, it doesn't feel like I'm back on indoor, and that's the problem. It looks like they took a couple Ewoks, took them somewhere else, and they're telling me where we are. I understand it's made for TV. I understand it's made for kids. It's unacceptable and inexcusable for the product they put out. We hear the John Williams Ewok theme as all this is going on. This was curious to hear because the majority of this is done by a gentleman by the name of Peter Bernstein. It was interesting hearing this theme. It's like, oh, wow, they are trying to go for that Star Wars feel, aren't they? (laughs) Mace wakes up and says that Sindel looks better today and more talking with the Ewoks ensues. We cut to, well... Some kind of stop-motion creature howling at the moon as Mace wakes Sindel up and decides it's time to bail. She puts her boots on as he grabs his gun and they head out to find their parents. They get lost in the woods and Sindel sits down to rest. See, and I think if you... Sorry, I'm going to catch you there. If you had somebody writing a screenplay for this, and I think that's where a lot of the issue is here, about two kids being marooned, families just watched Return of the Jedi. You get families down to sit this... And you got kids on an adventure to go save their parents. That right there, that elevator pitch sounds amazing. And I think that's all that they had with it. Because even the way you described it, the older brother, the younger sister, they're going to go find and rescue their parents. What could possibly go wrong in the Star Wars universe with that story? And it's, I think that's where the shame is. But it's also, you know what, if they would have focused on Sindel, I think maybe it would have been a little better. But this guy playing Mace... 
Like, I don't even think he knows what emotions are, he's supposed to show from scene to scene. I don't think he knows what lines he's supposed to deliver. So when he tries to do it, oh, God dang. No, 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 no. This is one of those movies that also suffers from dumb kid syndrome, yeah. where they they don't have proper survival instincts whatsoever. It does not make sense for them to leave that Ewok village, especially considering they don't know where they're going. And it's not like they stole a map or a navigational device from the Ewoks. They're going in completely blind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, there's nothing that we've been given that shows that they have a talent in any way. Mace could have been the navigator on the ship. You know, he could have been that smart as part of the family, make it kind of a lost in space type of thing. But, no, we don't have anything other than, hey, this guy looks like Mark Hamill floating in the back of the tank. All I'll say, if you hate Mace this week, wait till next week. I think you'll be happy. Mace lights a fire, and they start talking a little about how much they're missing their parents, and Mace swears to protect her. But the fire entices a creature to come stalk them, and oh boy, are these stop-motion effects bad. They hide in a tree and are clawed at before the creature just gives up, so they fall asleep. (laughs) They wake up to the Ewoks fighting this thing. So they've been in this tree all night as this creature somehow can't get his hands on them. And then this terribly rendered creature is fighting with the Ewoks until they finally slay it. You have to give them credit. Even though they did not have near the budget for a scene like this, they sure as hell went for it, didn't they? Oh, they they acted like they had the money. But this is also starting a trend with this movie where if you want to empower your kids that are watching to make them feel like they could do this stuff. Don't have the Ewoks solve every single problem they run into for them. Just to me, it reminds me of Hunger Games where Katniss can't figure out what to do, but you can sleep on a big enough tree branch and have no risk of falling off. When I was a kid, I fell out of my full-sized bed every third night. I don't know how you're not falling out of a tree. Well, after watching this, I fell off a bunk bed, so... Right with you. Yeah, it was weird because you broke the convention of having the high ground. (laughs) Good one. On the creature, they find their dad's life monitor. So they now know that their parents are alive, and Mace realizes that even though they're alive, they're most certainly in trouble. Mace assures Sindel that they are going to find their parents, and the Ewoks say they will now go to Logre, the mystic, to trace their location. We have to go visit Saruman now. All right. From here on out, this shit becomes the goddamn hobby. You are absolutely right. And that was what I was going to bring up later. That's exactly the influence I was going to bring up later. This is magic. You think they could have used magic against the Empire? No shit. This is, and Lucas has been vocal about the fact that, yeah, Star Wars was loosely based on Lord of the Rings. That whole dynamic that he read in Tolkien and he's doing it in this TV special on a $3 million budget. Adam, did you feel that influence as well? I did, especially here. It, you know, if you would have, if you take Hobbit, the worst parts of The Hobbit, take the worst part of Willow, throw it in a blender, this is what you get out of it. We're going to eventually get to the good and bad parts of The Hobbit in the next few years. No. Gray spins a street lamp. <laughs> Which is what I took it as. And they see that their parents are in a cage and being held by a huge monster. The Ewoks realize the plight that the kids are in. And even though they are being kept at a place where nobody's ever returned, they agree to help them find and rescue their mom and dad. 
So what were they going as then? They were just going to uh, accompany them until they finally decided, you know what, we're going to go ahead and help you guys. I guess. They gathered for a traditional Ewok ceremony where Low Gray, here we go, gives them totems of legendary Ewok warriors. Deej is given the White Wings of Hope, while his son Weechi is given the Red Wings of Courage. Wicket is given a walking stick, while Widow gets the Blue Wings of Strength. Sindel gets the Candle of Pure Light, while Charlie Brown, oh, I'm sorry, Mace, gets a rock. (laughs) And the Fellowship are united. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) It is hard not to see it. In fact, if I were the Tolkien estate, I would have probably sued them for this. Or if I was uh, Elf Frank Baum, because this is freaking the, wiz- the wizard giving them all the gifts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, they should have called this part if I only had a script. <laughs> <laughs> so now that the Fellowship has been formed, they embark on their journey. I'm surprised there's no swooping shots of these forests as they're going through them. They couldn't afford yeah, any helicopters. <laughs> Probably. Did you see that creature at the tree? But as Mace throws his rock away, there's Wicket to pick it up. Mace refuses to get in the horse-driven carriage because it's for kids, saying he'd rather walk. So now the fellowship... Oh, I'm sorry. I once again made that mistake. I mean, the caravan of courage is off. Mace is amazed at the coolness of where they are before a tree comes down, and we see Chuka Truck for the first time. Mace is upset that the tree was so close to them as he yells at Chuka. He gets something from Logre, which means that he's joining the Fellowship. So now we have another Ewok joining the fray here. Chuka. Mace challenges him to an axe-throwing contest, and he throws one right into a tree, and Chuka throws it right in the middle of the handle. This gets Mace's respect, and they tweak each other's nose. So they trek along, and then run into Kank, the Ewok priestess. <laughs> More magic. They give her the crystal who gives it to Mace, and it turns into a lizard. But when they give it to Sindel, it turns into a mouse, which convinces Kank to go with them. They come across a bank of water, and as Mace reaches down to touch it, he gets sucked under the water. And this is something that is actually fright-inducing for any age. I'll go ahead and say, we've been shitting on this movie a lot. But I really did like this scene. Being stuck underwater, seeing the surface, and not being able to make it out of the water is frightening as fuck. The Ewoks, they're, they're no help at all as they throw a vine in that disintegrates. They get a branch. That doesn't work. It takes Sindel, the little girl, to come up with the idea of putting the magic stick in, which causes Mace to finally get pulled out. I don't know, guys. I kind of like this scene. I'm giving them points for this. So this was the, what I alluded yeah. to earlier as far as the one thing I thought was actually suspenseful. But by this point, they've established the precedent of all these objects will solve whatever scene we are going to shoot because we don't have a proper answer. And more importantly, she's really fucking far away. How did she see him in the water? <laughs> like they're like the other side of the field. Yeah, suspenseful, it works well. And it has that fear of a child, especially me. Like, we used to fish in canals and things like that. And if you fell in, there was no way to get out. So drowning and those kind of things, being trapped underwater, kind of like being trapped under ice, not being able to get out. I think it's always a fear if you're a kid and you have a pool or water around. I think it was done decently. You know, this part wasn't all that bad, other than, yeah, that we're going to throw all the different objects that we see around us into the water and... They disappear. <laughs> well, Tolkien could have sued here, too, because this is right out of the two towers. Mm-hmm. Frodo falls into that marsh. Yep. Yeah. The Ewoks are now killing time, playing games and hanging by the water. 
They get Wicket's attention, saying it's time to go. But he wakes up the horse, and there goes Sindel moving uncontrollably in the carriage that's riding to God knows where. It takes Chuka to catch up to the horse and rein him in. So many... Li- this, whole, this whole 20 fucking minutes from the moment they leave the Ewok base, I don't know, the village, it's just dumb hijinks yeah. that are easily solved. Mm-hmm. It's the first example of making artificial conflict because this movie doesn't have any. That's a great point. And I got to say, too, at this point, this movie is dragging, too. This is 96 minutes. Oh, yeah. It feels like a fucking eternity. Yep. They're laying down at night as the candle that never burns down hatches some light fairies called Wisties. After roaming around for a while, Sindel puts her candle down and down they go. But one is left, so Mace picks her up and then has a change of heart, telling Wicket that they've all become very good friends. Uh, Damn, they fucking stole from Disney too, because Tinkerbell makes an appearance in this movie. (laughs) Like, God, the court case of people suing for this movie would have been very justified, in my opinion. And the the thing that made me laugh the hardest is when she puts that candle down in the middle of an open field. That would have killed all of them and burned down the entire planet. (laughs) So the next day, they're once again trekking along, this time on the land of dry lakes. This is the forest moon of Endor, right? (laughs) As they come across the Gorax's fortress. They need Mace's rock to get in, but of course, being the asshole that he is, he threw it away. Wicket to the rescue as he takes out the rock, which opens up to an arrowhead, and it moves through to the underside of a massive rock. Mace pulls out his blaster, which causes a massive explosion, and lets them in. This blaster, man. Oh, the phaser? The phaser? Yeah. <laughs> Why? That, yeah, set phasers to bore, because a lot of this movie is a snooze fest. <laughs> he walks, tells Sindel and Wicket to stay, and Mace agrees with them. They then come across a spider web that leads to the other side. They get on the web, as a giant spider appears. More Lord of the Rings suing oh. gas going on here. Yeah, I'm waiting for Sindel to be like, you didn't taste my sting. <laughs> well, I wanted some, someone in the screenwriting room should have yelled, this shall not pass. <laughs> Mace's gun, of course, gives out on him because this is more artificial conflict that Matt pointed out earlier. But Kenka grabs her crystal, which hypnotizes the spider enough to let them cross. And then they chop the web in time to send the spider all the way to the bottom. But this leads right to Sindel and Wicket, who stabbed the bastard. So Wicket is once again a fucking hero. And a killer. You know what? I got to appreciate that. Yeah. But this web, man, you talk about cheap. Holy shit. They, they, must, have, they must have saved a lot of money at Party City. <laughs> Between the webs and the ship and all the, all the props in this look awful. Yeah. Although the, I think the village in the beginning, the Ewok village, doesn't look too bad. But once once they get into these fucking random places that they're sending these characters. Yeah. Once they have to start doing shit that's not in Return of yeah. the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the other heroes are now in the heart of the fortress as Mace pulls out his useless gun. Now, compliment alert. I think when the Gorax appears, they do a pretty nice job of establishing scale. Of course, this realness is eliminated as he chomps on a meatless bone, but you can't win them all. I think this Gorax kind of look, looks kind of cool, actually. I, I, I enjoy the way, especially given 1984 effects, that they established a scale. You know what? Yes, I can say that it gives a good sense of scale. And that's it. <laughs> I will give it that. Other than that, it looks like an Ewok banged a Rancor, and what came out is this Gorax. <laughs> I gotta say, once they show the eyes, though, you can see the eye holes of the mask that, they, <laughs> that had to be worn, too. But I don't know. I think it looks kind of cool. 
I like the design cosmetically, mm-hmm. even though at what Adam alluded to, it's probably a Wikipedia article that's longer th- that will take longer to read than listen to the podcast. <laughs> They find the parents in a cage, and Deej distracts the Gorax enough to allow Mace and the... Holy bad rear projection. Oh, yeah. This is bad. We talked about the Rancor and Luke. This this puts it to shame as far as badness goes. Deej distracts the Gorax enough to allow Mace and the rest of the Ewoks to get to the cage in a nicely constructed little contraption here. They drop a rope and lead the parents down. The Gorax shows back up, and Chuka lays right into his foot. The balls on this little guy. Like, he's having this fucking big-ass creature chase him around this place. Mace lets Ezarina, as he calls her, out of his pocket, and the creature swings wildly at her. This causes rocks to fall down, and they did something I so wasn't expecting and had me bawling as a kid. They killed Chuka. He's laying down, and Mace tries getting him to get up, but all he does is give Mace his axe, tweaks his nose, and dies. How many kids do they want to traumatize here? <laughs> I'm glad they actually felt that it was okay, and it, and it was back then. They would never do this no. now. But I appreciated that they felt it was okay to actually include the death of, a, of an Ewok. Mm-hmm. They would never have the stones to do that no. now. The Gorax finds the rest of the gang and comes down after them, but the dad rigs some vines so that he falls. This isn't quite mm-hmm. enough, so Kanka hypnotizes a rock, and the mom gets Mace's pistol to work one more time, and the Gorax falls. But once again, he's not out. How many lives are you going to give this creature? <laughs> As the family celebrates, Sindel is, of course, right in the reach of danger. The Gorax pulls itself back out, but Mace uses his old axe-throwing skills and hits him right in the back of the neck. This causes him to lose his grip and falls all the way down the pit in a shot that makes the final shot of Hans Gruber falling off the building and Die Hard look like Avatar. <laughs> Saw it coming. I was glad to see it. Some axe-throwing violence, but it's amazing how bad it looks. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's telegraphed more than, than P.T. Barnum sending out messages, but it works. You know he's going to get killed, and they say that's the uh, that's the ball rod coming back up yeah. just to be taken back down again. Good call. The opinions of this podcast are not the property of the Tolkien estate. I just want to make that abundantly clear. <laughs> the family tells Mace that they're very proud of him. As Ezarina makes her way back, and they head out. But Sindel, fuck you. <laughs> we cut to the camp. Mace gives a tearful goodbye to Ezarina as she flies toward the sky. We get a final celebration party as the mom is given a flower, and the dad tells Deej that they are two very lucky fathers. Sindel gets a crown of feathers as a smooth voice of Burl Ives sends us out with the words courage, loyalty, and love of strongest forces in the universe as credits roll on Caravan of Courage. Boy, this felt like the knockoff version of Return of the Jedi in the worst. It definitely did. Holy shit. uh, Hey, you know what? I can say I've watched it. There we go. Well, (laughs) Or like you survived. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, scale of 1 to 10, what do we give Caravan of Courage? Adam, you go ahead and go, sir. You know, when it came to Return of the Jedi, I think I was one of the most into the Ewoks. Uh, the culture, what they were, what they represented, absolutely a big fan. I was as a kid, I was today. You would think that I would appreciate this. You would think I would have seen this as a kid. Didn't happen. You know what I did watch? I watched the Ewoks cartoon series that was kind of spurned from these two movies. And I enjoyed those so much that I still have VHS tapes wow. 
of the Ewoks cartoons. But this here, this is inconsistent. It's incoherent. It's an absolute squandered idea because they could have done something cool with it. It doesn't look like it was filmed on Endor when all of us would have just seen Endor the year before. This feels like the worst of 60s Star Trek or Doctor Who put on with just George Lucas's goggles. There's a reason that they spent, what, seven to eight weeks filming and then spent two weeks just doing dubbing because they had no idea what they had filmed and they decided, uh, let's put some sort of narrative together and called Burl Ives to fill in the gaps. It's, if you want to watch it to say you've watched it, go ahead. But, man, this, man, this thing was rough. If, if I was Han Solo and I was strapped over the pyre again, just let me burn as opposed to having to pop this back in. This is, you know what, I'll give one for Sindel because she's cute. I'll give one for the Ewoks because I'm always down for some teddy bears. And at least it's Star Wars. So I'm going to be generous and give this a three on ten. Wow, generous three. Never thought I'd hear that. Goudreau, how generous are you going to be, sir? So there's two kinds of bad movies that fall into one of two categories. There's the bad movies that are so remarkably awful whether it's their execution, whether it's the ideas, whether it's the borderland arrogance of the filmmakers that make it a very enjoyable experience. And then there's the bad movies where they're just bad because they're so banal and unimaginative. This is the latter, unfortunately. And I think it's one of the biggest damnations you can make on fantasy movies or sci-fi is unimaginative and uninspired. I think that's a huge knock. And that's how I feel about this movie. All I see are dollar signs when I look at Ewoks to begin with, and this is magnified tenfold. So I will also say, like Adam, watch this if you're a completionist, but I would I would wear it like a badge of honor that you survived th- this experience, because this is everything that I don't like about franchise filmmaking, where it's we're just going to make it perfunctory, perfunctory material and just hope you like it. And... I, I'm not a fan, but I also have the same exact score that Adam wrote. I'm at a 3 on 10 for this as well. I think for the same three reasons he mentioned. But it didn't have any Force Uga Booga in it. Yeah, there's this magic. Oh, there is magic. It's not Force powers, though. All right. Well, uh, boy, these two were pretty hard on this thing. I'm not going to go as harsh. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, before we started getting into the plot here, that... This is the beginning of the Star Wars stories, the Star Wars offshoot stories. And I found it interesting that, yes, Lucas did find the need to go this route and do this story. But I think it's for a lot of the reasons that people give Lucas shit for, which is, yeah, he saw dollar signs. He says, you know, in the press, he did say he made it for his daughter because his daughter loved the Ewoks. I think we all see what's going on here. And, of course, it worked on me. I bought the book and record. I bought the storybook. I did really like this as a kid. As an adult, I watch it, I see the seams. I also see so many of the quote-unquote influences that Lucas used while making this. And you know, this is what you get when you outline a story and you hand it off to your neighbor. Yes, John Cordy was Lucas's neighbor. And come up with a fantasy that, yeah, it would appeal to somebody who wanted something Lord of the Rings-like if you had just read those books. But if you're looking at this as a Star Wars adventure, if you're looking at this as an Ewok adventure, as the title suggests, it is a pretty big slog. And I, I find it really tough to actually sit through this entire movie, honestly. But, you know, there's, there's some good instances here. I do find a lot of the interactions between Sindel and Wicket cute. I find a lot of... 
when they get to the parents and there's some good values going on here. But man, Mace is so, so toxic to this movie. Every time he's on screen, I want him off. And I felt that way as a kid, too. So for the fact that if it wasn't for Mace, I would give this a five just for almost entertainment value. But this is a sheer, this is a four because it, it, it feels way longer than it actually is. And Mace is just awful. But 65 million viewers meant we were going to get another one. And we got it the very next Thanksgiving. Ewoks, the battle for Endor. Adam, if you hadn't seen this one, I guarantee you haven't seen next week's, correct? Man, thank God that for Thanksgiving, my family made me watch Survivor Series growing up. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the family got together, and that's what we did Thanksgiving Day, Thanksgiving night. Thank goodness we did. Yeah, I had no idea this existed. I had assumed ahead of time that it would be a different story with a different family because there's no way the same family is going to crash on Endor again or something. I was surprised to learn there was a second one until you said I got to watch two of these. And, uh,. As Matt said at the beginning of this one, thank goodness for Disney Plus, because if I would have had to pay to rent this, we, they're, they're, yeah, <laughs> it'd be some fight. But I was interested, not not happy, but interested to see what they were going to do again. Gaudreau, what, what are you thinking going into next week's film? Uh, it's a difficult question to answer, because when this was done, I had to take a, a day just to not think about the prospect of a second movie, so I waited an additional day to sit down and watch this one. I, I was... More curious than anything because I had seen the trailer they put out for this, you know, like that you can find on YouTube. And I saw a couple, you know, instances of, you know, what I assumed were cherry picked scenes that, if not great, looked slightly more ambitious than anything we saw in this one. So I'm not going to tell you I was hopeful because that's a bold faced lie, but I, I wasn't dreading this one in the way that I was, like, objectively trying to avoid and procrastinate watching Caravan of Courage. That's about as much of a compliment as I think we're, <laughs> we're going to get when it comes from, for Goudreau talking about Ewok movies. I remember this coming out. I remember when this aired. But once again, I did not watch it live. I didn't see this until much later. And I have stories once we get to that film. But yeah, I do remember this being released. And oh boy, there are things to talk about when this when we get to this movie. But... Until next week, when we talk Battle for Endor, a podcast, these little bears are nuts. Thanks, gentlemen. On their way home, the inquisitive Ewoks decide to investigate the strange object Deej spotted from the sky. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast, exclusively on Percolated Media. Join us next week for an entirely new review. What were you guys talking about? I think they want to be our friends. And if you would be so kind, please take a moment to give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. Thank you. It truly helps others find and discover our podcasts. I feel much better. And if you enjoyed this show, please check out our other podcast series, such as 
Indiana Jones. The films of the DC Universe featuring Batman and Superman, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, Avatar, and so many more. The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. I want the power! The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is edited by Garrett. Get your hands off her! Voice narration by Adam. been here ever since. don't even know how long I've been here. The Three Men and a Retrospective podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. Go, he's gonna come back. Come on. Yep, yep. Yeah, they had no interest in editing anything. It's almost like they needed to make a length for network TV, and sure as hell, they were gonna use every bit of celluloid they had to get there. <laughs> Hold on, I let me let me turn the sound off on my phone. My my fantasy sports app is going off. Okay. They would never have the stones to do that. No. Matt. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> hey, we're taking less than a quarter of the time to do this one than we did Star Wars, so we're getting through it pretty quick here.